Hey everybody, welcome to a, a new episode of Kendall versus Kendall, and this is actually quite a special episode for us both, because not only are we going to be talking about really cool things, but I actually have Jeff Kendall Weed, the man himself, sitting in my house right now. Thanks for having me, Which is me, super Seth. awesome. We just <laughs> high-fived. That was awesome. Uh, this is obviously a big moment for me because, one, I'm a huge fan of yours from way oh, before man. the podcast. <laughs> and uh, I think I gushed to you one time at Interbike about four years ago. And then, lo and behold, we did this podcast, and now you're here. Boom. Uh, super rad to finally have you in person. Uh, you're actually coming back from some stuff that you did down in Bend yeah. and are stopping by Hood River where I live. And so stoked that we can make this happen and be sitting together. So, Dude, it's awesome. Thanks yeah. for having and me. And you're just as good looking in person as you are on video. Back at you, Seth. <laughs> so, oh, this is a beautiful spot you have here. It's rad to be here. We have beautiful things to look at. Yeah. yeah <laughs> House yeah. is well maintained. I like it. Yeah. Well, we did that just for you. Made sure everything looked pretty. So, uh, so what do we have on tap for this month? Uh, this is our May episode. So what do we have going on? Well, this is when we dust the old mountain bikes off, try to find that helmet, see if the tires are still hold air, and get ready to send it so yeah. i think it's time for some maintenance some maintenance may if you will yeah well very cool so that's kind of what we're going to be hitting today is just uh after the long winter whether it was wet or for uh like us we had lots of snow you know trails were uh snowy for a really long time i actually talked to a customer today in uh quebec who okay. has said his trails are still under snow, and he's hoping that within a week or two that they're finally going to get out. So, And in Bend, yesterday, we were trying to ride Upper Whoops Trail, and we started pedaling up it, and in like three minutes, we ran into too much snow. Oh, geez. Yeah, and that's like right down so, the road, too. Yeah, that's crazy. not too far. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy, but this is where we dust things off. So uh, let's talk about kind of where we start with this. Uh, you know, for me, when it comes to getting my bike down, I always go to kind of the first thing is pull it down off the rack. Wear safety glasses. Spiders could fall off. Interesting. <laughs> I have yet to have that one, but that's actually a, a good recommendation. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of spiders. So. No, no yeah. one is. <laughs> <laughs> Someone is, but they're always kind of straight. Right? Do you have black widows in Hood River? I'm sure we do. I have not seen any yet, yeah. but uh, back when I was a kid living just down the river, um, it, we definitely had them around oh, our man. shed there. So. Yeah. Yeah, not not something I'm into. So, yeah, some safety glasses. Um, but I definitely uh, start my whole time off when, um, you know, I shake things off from the winter for spring riding. Uh, I, I start with a clean of my bike. And the main reason I do that is, one, I always say a clean bike is a fast bike. But beyond that is cleaning your bike is one of the best ways to identify any issues or maintenance needs that you might have with your bike. Totally. So for me, uh, I like to break out the wash. Uh, I personally have a favorite. I'm really into Maxima's bio wash. So are stuff. you actually using a hose and washing your bike? Or are you one of the uptight mechanics that does not ever use a hose with a bicycle? So No opinion from me either yeah, way. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the most common answer from me is never use your hose okay however when i was living in the midwest and man we had some rides where there was just no option but to go through something muddy if it's if you're coming off something really muddy and things are caked on they're really hard i definitely say 
a very low pressure hose, keep it away from things that have bearings or grease, or I try to keep it away from my brakes and rotors as well, because if you get some of the grime or grease coming off your chain or something that's attached to your frame that's just got grease on it, you can contaminate those. So I try to keep it away from brakes and rotors and all that. Um, Man, I'm the opposite. I'm like, grab the bike, throw it in front of the hose, get it, just get it super wet. Yeah. I'm all about like condensing as much maintenance into as little time as possible. So I'm all about the the garden hose wash and I can do it pretty fast. But my secret trick is to use the leaf blower to dry it off and got to do that right away and then go straight to the chain lube. That's a really good idea. Yeah. I had not thought of that. I've used my compressor before. Uh, oh, but again, man. you got to be a little careful about where yeah. you're shooting compressed air. The leaf blower is pretty mellow for the bike, but you have to be careful where you prop it up because that 180 mile an hour wind will definitely blow your bike right over, especially if you have a light bike. I don't have that problem. I have heavy duty burly bikes. Yeah, true, true. But still, be careful where you, where you set it up. I thought I had that idea because I was going to do it for my motorcycle. I get done with the race, pressure wash it. I don't pressure wash the bicycle, but definitely the moto. And then use the leaf blower to dry it all off because there's so many steel bolts on that thing that can rust. Yeah. And I was like, wait a second, this will work for the bicycle. And then like six months later, Seth's bike hacks. There's a video where he shows that trick <laughs> off. And I, oh, I, I totally have my own idea and it's blown. Uh, but yeah, he totally, everyone's thought of that idea and it's not. <laughs> well, I, apparently I hadn't because okay. I'm a sucker. I still hand wipe my, my bikes down Jeez. and I <laughs> use very nice rags for it. I like, I don't use shop rags and that's just because I'm, I'm a little bit particular about oh, the way fine. my bikes are. Um, but you know, my recommendation for people is to just make sure that you're using stuff that isn't going to pull grease out of places. So I'm less worried about what you use. Um, like the hose thing, you know, it's not going to shove grease out of places unless you're using a real high pressure. Yeah. Uh, drying it off with the leaf blower makes total sense to me. Um, but my whole thing is like, Think about your bottom bracket. Think about your headset. Those kind of places, you don't want to be shoving water down those and and displacing that grease. Uh, With that being said, we later on, as we do more maintenance to this bike, we probably should be looking at those things and seeing if they're running right. Uh, Some bottom brackets and headsets you can treat with grease and get them running right. but not that many anymore, though. Yeah, Yeah. this day of sealed bearings, uh, that's not as common. That was one Um, spot where PressFit 92 was nice because it was so cheap to get those bottom brackets. You could just, all right, it's crunchy. Let's just get a new one. Yeah. Yeah, and I, in my opinion, I'd say that was the last place that PressFit 92 was nice. But <laughs> uh, I never had too many uh, of them wear out, but I only had, I think, one. No, I had two bikes, one bike. I don't remember if the Ripley ended up coming with a thread in. I think the first generation first, Ripley was a PressFit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The SLR was a PressFit. This is way back when, so our, no longer pertinent to yeah, our listeners. Yeah. No, it's it's funny seeing the uh, threaded BB just come back in force, yeah. you know. Uh, and again, as a mechanic, I, I welcome that. But uh, I actually had pretty good luck with press fit on all my bikes. Yeah, um, I did too. But as a mechanic, I definitely saw some challenges, some creaking that came through customer and people were afraid of putting ISCG tabs on the PressFit 92 bottom bracket shell, which I personally did not understand why we just glue a tab on there. Yeah. I mean, uh, or something aluminum that then bolts to the main front, try anything, but yeah. it never happened. Go yeah. Figure. 
Anyways, now we're digressing. <laughs> so we stopped talking about that. But uh, yeah, so uh, I, I definitely wipe my bikes dry. And, you know, some products that I love just because, uh, you know, we're going to have people asking us. I personally am a huge fan of Maxima products. I yeah. think they're fantastic. Uh, there's some great other products out there. Muckoff and those guys are doing some cool stuff. Uh, but for me, like the um, bio wash just works really well. It's, you know, it's pretty safe for the yeah. environment and all that, which is cool. And then the thing that I love, uh, depending on the bike, but is their SC1 that just makes bikes gleam and glow. And yes. That stuff is Keep sexy. it off the rotors, though. Yes. Yes. I've not, I don't know if it'll actually contaminate a rotor, but it just like... Since so many other things will contaminate the rotor, I'm always very careful about putting rags over it. Yep, yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's kind of my first step. Okay. Um, and then after that, um, I start just going through the bike kind of front to back. And my reasoning for that is I tend to use one or two rags through the process. And I figure the greasier or the farther back I go, the greasier things How get. nice are these rags? So, Do they come from the Banana Republic or are they the Gap <laughs> or are they Target? So uh, I, I do use, depending on what process I'm doing. So I have shop rags that are just like your typical garage rags for greasy side things. But if I'm doing kind of the the SE1 coats and things like that, I actually use microfiber yeah, rags. Yeah, I use but microfiber again, for that too. It's just, I mean, the, I get them at like Costco or whatever, you know, it's nothing nothing fancy. Although I, I do want to say that if I'm trying to wash a bike and make it look good with minimal effort, which happens a lot, unfortunately, mm -hmm. <laughs> living in Bellingham, I'm riding in the rain about 13 months out of the year. So yeah. bikes get washed a lot. But um, if you want your bike to look really clean, get the wheels super clean, the tire oh, and rim. Yeah, if you yeah. can get your tire looking pretty fresh and pretty clean in your rim, that makes a big difference on the bike. Yeah. And I don't like to put a C1 on the tire because if you're on any kind of hard surface, it's crazy slick. Yeah. But if you are in the position to safely get SC1 on the rim, man, that really shines your bike up. Yeah. Well, and we will be talking about tire and wheel maintenance here. Okay. So there is a time when you pop your tires off because so, you're going to do sealing and all that kind of stuff where that's probably a good time to do that, you know, make it, make it look good. And again, a clean bike is a fast bike is my motto. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that it's actually true, but I at least look <laughs> fast on the trail just because. I think it's probably true. Yeah. You know, a clean bike tends to be a quiet bike and a quiet bike is a fast bike. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, after that, um, one of the main things that I like to do now that my bike is clean and I'm going over it with a rag or, you know, kind of looking at it is just to check everything for damage right yeah. like i want to look for cracks in my frame i want to look for stress fractures or any sort of like chips in the paint anything like that that might indicate that there's some bigger issue that either one i have to warranty or that i have i should be doing some maintenance too you know like sometimes you can see chips in your frame and you're like oh man i should put some kind of protective film down there right some all mountain style stuff or whatever um so I definitely use this time to kind of uh, make sure that everything's good. And this happened a lot when I was uh, a mechanic. I would get customers coming in and they'd be like, oh, man, I need my bike worked on and ready. And then I would clean their bikes of dirt and get all the mud and junk off of them. And lo and behold, I'd find like a pretty major stress fracture somewhere. Oh, and Man, like uh, carbon you can repair, but aluminum, when that happened, it was pretty much just retire that thing. You I know? feel so. like any frame that has a big crack in it, it's time to just go ahead. Well, there is If it that. cracked in one place, it's probably going to not be 100% in another place. And yeah. 
Yeah, on carbon frames, definitely check out the main pivot shaft close to mm -hmm. the bottom bracket on any brand's bike. That's the link that's going to see the most amount of stress as yep. the bike's being ridden hard. For sure. Any any brand bike, especially a dual link brand bike, look at the lower one, make sure it's in, in good working order. Check the bearings to be sure they're not all seized up. Yeah. Especially after if it's been sitting wet for six months in the garage. Yeah, and sometimes you won't even notice it um, just sitting or even like cycling through your suspension. You may not notice it um, just because it's like such a large movement being translated across the whole bike. So it's actually good often to like pull those bolts out, clean the face of your bearings, run, run the bearings with your fingers. Well, that's um, the only way to really see if your main pivot shaft is properly in your front triangle. Yeah. Swing arm is get the link out of there so you can actually see it. Otherwise you're kind of just blindly guessing what's going yeah. on. Yeah. And most of the time this is a pretty easy process, right? Like uh, there's obviously some stuff you want to make sure you're following torque specs and, and whatever from the manufacturers, but most of the brands are pretty good about putting that information on their sites and having it available so you know what to do. But, uh, man, it's probably only a 15-minute process to go through all your linkage stuff most of the time. Unless you're pulling um, it off and putting it back on fully. That can, well, yeah, that can be a thing. Yeah, not especially, too bad. but Especially with the old uh, Ripley. Um, oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was an awesome suspension design. I was a huge fan. But, uh, man, that one was definitely a bit more work uh, than some of their, their current ones. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, check over that stuff. If you see anything, it's definitely a good idea to reach out to the manufacturer and say, here's what I'm seeing. Is this worthwhile? Uh, it could be that it's a warranty claim or it could be that it's time to just do a crash replacement and, and move on. It's also a great um, time when you've got the bike clean to check the rims for cracks. Yes. I think of all things on a bike, probably the most susceptible to cracking either carbon or aluminum would be the rim, believe yeah. it or not. Like even aluminum rims, they can totally get around the spoke holes. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen plenty like it's, and there's not like, if it got over torqued from the factory, if the spokes come over tension, then that'll happen more often. But still, like I've been surprised to see spokes pull straight out of rims on yeah. rides, and it's like, oh, geez. Yeah, and wheels are definitely not a fun thing to have fail. Right? No, like, no, 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 that can be very dangerous, <laughs> that, especially a front wheel. Yeah, like that can definitely be sketchy. So you definitely want to, you know, check these over. And yeah. so as you clean your bike, make sure you're just looking all the way through. You're gonna spend, I don't know, like I probably spend a total of an hour and a half, two hours of like kind of cleanup maintenance type of stuff, not including my suspension work. Um, but, you know, just like going over the bike, making sure everything's dialed. And to to go into my first rides and through the summer feeling confident about my bike, uh, it, it's, a, it's worth that time, you know. And if you're feeling too busy for this, this is a great time to drop it off at your sh local shop. And yeah. most of them will charge you if your bike's too dirty, though. So <laughs> that one's worth doing on your own because yeah. they'll, they'll charge you a pretty penny pretty penny i know we did uh to to clean bikes i do have one question for you yes. so if you don't want your garden hose to touch your bike and it's pretty filthy and the mud's caked on like say you haven't touched the bike since october 15th and it's may 7th and yeah. you're going through and all this mud's been on there it's petrified on there and you're not gonna use the garden hose how are you gonna get it off so uh, in those cases i have used my hose um but actually the tool that i personally use is it's a, a bit of a jerry rig tool that i did for camping um 
I used to do overland stuff in okay. uh, surprisingly a Suzuki Samurai. Oh wow, which is a <laughs> weird quarters. <laughs> yeah, but it was a it was a hell of a truck. Um, and the gas and, mileage is phenomenal. Oh my gosh, <laughs> and that thing would go anywhere. It was on thirty threes and would just go anywhere. That's like sixty fours for a full size, right? <laughs> exactly, it was monstrous. <laughs> um, it was way overbuilt. It was an incredible machine, but I used to take it. But because size was so limited. All my friends who were in these big Toyotas and stuff had these like cool water heater shower things, oh, wow. and I, I just couldn't. I had no space, yeah. so I actually took a metal bug sprayer from like Home Depot, okay. Lowe's, whatever, and I made it into like my camp stove shower. So what I'll do now is I use that uh, as my bike cleaner, and so I fill that up, and I can really control the pressure. Okay. I can really. And are you putting your bike wash into this thing when you're squirting it, or is it straight water? Generally, I will do. Um, I'll, I actually usually use um, the BioWash as a hand spray to kind of just do that stuff okay. by hand. But I will often get something like a degreaser, uh, like Simple Green or something, yeah. to actually mix in with okay. the water a little bit, and that really helps to break down that that mud and stuff. So, so you do use a Simple Green or whatever in this spray thing. So, okay, so yeah. water's hitting the bike. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, it does hit the bike. I just, I'm always hesitant of just. Just like straight water yeah, pressure. So. Yeah, seat posts don't like that cable that they use getting gummed up with yep. too much water. And then the shift cable, if your yeah. bike has just shift cable. <laughs> yeah, <day and> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so um, let's say uh, now we've cleaned the bike from front basically to back. I'd say that brings us basically to drivetrain at this yeah. point. And one of my absolute, if I'm going to stress anything that you should do to your bike, like the, the two most important things I think you can do for your bike maintain your suspension regularly and maintain your chain regularly and what do you mean by maintaining a chain because i just so, replace them <laughs> yes and that is exactly what i mean is they're like they're not even that much money to get a freshie and no, it's so easy to do they're not bad at all no. and but what i recommend is get a chain stretch tool or uh, often called a chain wear indicator um, there's several out there. They're usually somewhere between like six and 12 bucks. So it's like not even expensive, yeah. but man, I would say several times through your riding season, just keep checking your chain. It takes five seconds to look and see if it fits and it, it, that if the tool drops into place, basically that's too long. You need to replace yeah. your chain. And the reason I stress this is a chain is, you know, 20, 30 bucks, something like that. And man, the difference between replacing a chain or having to replace your cogs and your cassettes. And those SRAM cassettes in particular right? are not cheap. Holy moly. I ride Shimano stuff. I'm a sponsored athlete or whatever. And, you know, I look at the, if I need to ever buy a cassette, I'm like, all right, no big deal. And then I had to get a SRAM cassette the other day for a bike, an old used bike. I was selling yeah. them. I couldn't believe it. I was yeah. just like, I was not expecting that. So. And I mean, they're a work of art, like yeah. all machined from single pieces. Of but they're not cheap. <laughs> but like, good Lord. Yeah. And you can get a ton of life. Like if you just stick with changing out those chains, yeah. that cassette can last you a really long time. And it's crazy how much better a fresh chain will shift yes. than a used chain. That always blows me away. Yeah, so much so. So yeah, uh, get a chain wear indicator, drop it into place. If your chain is stretched, uh, to kind of there's kind of a mid section where it's like yeah. oh it's stretched a little on bit on the park tool yeah yeah um, if it falls into that it's time to change that chain yeah. if it falls into the long segment 
uh, that's going to indicate to you that there's probably damage to your cassette and to your your chain ring. And Dude, I've had some bad crashes trying to run new chains on old cassettes. Exactly, that can be kind of right? dangerous. Because so. they slip. Because basically what's happening is the, the timing of the uh, teeth and the chain are no longer aligned. Yeah. They're in two different places. And so, yeah, oh. not cool. And it's a super simple maintenance thing. And you can do this all year long. I think right? the best plan is not just to like, I don't want to tell people to go out and buy lots of stuff, but don't just buy one chain at a time. That's a waste of time. Just buy two or three. They don't cost that much. If you're riding an 11-speed bike, it's probably going to be current for a while. If you're riding a 12-speed bike, it's probably going to be current for a while. That's basically yeah. if you're SRAM or Shimano. So just get a couple at a time, maybe get two or three at a time and plan on that using those throughout the season. Yeah. And it, it saves you too because yeah. if you're out riding... You know, if you have that thing sitting in your car and you break a chain, all you have to do is get back to your car and you can still do your ride or you can at least get your next day's ride or whatever. So it's so helpful to have chains laying around. Whereas if you have to like figure out how to get a chain to you, like yeah. that's a big waste. So yeah, um, definitely want to just uh, check your chain and then uh, we want to clean the chain for sure. Uh, chain scrubbers are great. They're cheap. Um, you know, make sure that you got all the dirt and junk off of it because again dirt and junk is going to wear out your cassette and your chain faster and if you're using a gnarly gooey wet type chain lube and it's getting into springtime it's already dust on the trails yep that can wear stuff out a bit faster too yeah uh, absolutely so um we actually did a video a while back with maxima um not oh, cool. to plug them too much but well, they talk this <laughs> it's pretty good but they talk about their different chain loops because it's okay. really easy to be like Wait, do I want to wax? Do I want a dry lube? Yeah. Like, what is dry lube? That seems like an oxymoron. <laughs> you know, like, but basically, we're trying to match your conditions. So, wax uh, chain lubes are going to be really good in wet conditions. Uh, dry chain lubes are going to be good in dry conditions, but you're going to have to apply it more frequently, basically. Bring a little bottle on the trail yep, and be ready. Yep. It's going to, um, it's going to, you know, it's going to wear off your chain yeah. faster because that's how it keeps the dirt away from your chain and cassette and everything. An easy so. trick to clean your chain, two old toothbrushes with a rubber band. Yes. Or two rubber Works bands. great. So <laughs> yeah, if you're not looking to do a, a chain scrubber, that's a great one. Yeah. I've done all kinds of interesting things like that and uh, they work great. Like really, we're just trying to get the old junk out. Yeah. And then uh, we always recommend when you do chain lube, uh, almost every brand is basically one drop per link. Let it sit for a little bit, penetrate into your chain, you know, shift it through some gears and then wipe it off. Yeah. You don't need that excess, right? I usually leave the wiping off bit for like the next day or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Pre-ride is my, yeah. my go-to. I leave a rag in my van. And so when I get to the trailhead, just spin it through and yeah. take off. Uh, but any extra chain lube is just going to attract more dirt. And you don't want to get that wear. chain lube on your rim if you're running cantilevers or V-brakes. And yes. if you're running a disc brake, be careful. You yeah. don't want that lube on there. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably plenty about chains. Uh, you just want to make sure they're happy <laughs> and, you know, lubed and spinning freely. Um, Are chain link pliers for SRAM chains? What's the deal? With oh, yeah, I've yeah. seen these things like on multi-tools lately, and I have not ever had a deal with yeah, them. Yeah, 1UP has it built into their EDC tool, okay. but I every time I have gone to use it, I'm like, 
I should have read the instructions. <laughs> I don't know how to use this Classic. one. Classic. It's super cool, though. I'm Wait, sure is that for the 12-speed, awesome. the, what do they call it, the chicken, the eagle? The yes, <laughs> the condor. Yes, yes. That's, <laughs> that is a more difficult master link to get apart than a standard. Uh, you know, actually, I've been fine with mine. Okay. Um, it's just me. There's like a weird little connection that you have to do with it, and I'm okay. sure I could figure it out if I spent time. But gotcha. I've only had to do it once uh, with that tool. Um, but yeah, um, just... They're little pliers that just grab one side of the gotcha. link and one the other side, and you just squeeze them, and it just pulls everything together. It just makes it so much easier than yeah. trying to do it with, like, channel locks or something. Yeah, and like, I always want to say I'm never going to have to break a chain on the trail, but it's definitely happened that I'll bend, bend a hanger or a derailleur, and all of a sudden the chain's right behind that largest cog, the lowest yep. ratio gear, stuck yep. against the spokes, and it's like, how am I going to get this out of here yeah. without twisting the chain? And then in that case, it can be easier to actually pop it apart. Yeah. So that's a, it's a super good tool and not one that's hard to pack. Um, you know, you can get the pliers that are like the shop ones, and even those aren't huge. Or like the EDC tools and Crank Brothers and all those Yeah, I feel like a stuff. few have those now. I, I see these everywhere, and I've been on Shimano basically only shimano for five years now so i haven't had to get into them but well you do now though that's <laughs> their, the new their new change xtr does yeah they uh, all have links now okay so you know they're, yeah, they they're firm enough that you actually have to use the pliers yeah it's definitely okay. definitely tight like uh i have seen people break them on the trail not totally by hand but using like branches and friends and whatever <laughs> to like actually free it up and yeah. it worked it was not pretty, though. Okay, okay. <laughs> Grown men cursing a lot, so... Uh, I'm yeah. guilty of keeping... Uh, you, I think I'm out of pins now. I'm using the newer Shimano 11-speed mm, quick links, yeah. but um, I was keeping old 11-speed SRAM quick links as backup for my Camelbacks, Yeah, and those are pretty easy to pop apart. So. Yeah, I loved that we, for years we were told that that didn't work. But. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> classic. So classic. <laughs> we all knew it did. Um, so let's talk about wheels. Wheels yeah. is obviously a huge thing. Um, you obviously want to make sure your wheels are true. Uh, as always, if you can and you feel competent, uh, getting a, a truing stand is a great thing to have in your shop. But this is also a great place to hand your wheels off to a shop and, yeah. and make sure things are dialed. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want to over-torque things. Uh, you want to make sure it's running right. And yeah. there is truly an art to kind of wheel building, wheel tension. It's honestly harder to maintain a wheel than it is to build it. Yeah. And that's one thing that I didn't really understand until I was working at WTB and had to all of a sudden <clears throat> go from Ibis rims to WTB rims and build up like 12 wheels in a week or two. And it was like, after the first couple, I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. Yeah. But then going back to these crusty old wheels where the spoke prep has been stuck for a couple yeah. of years yeah it's a lot harder to manage because in that case you're stuck in the whole thing like this book's too tight that book's too loose what yep. do i do yeah when people are That's... like oh is everything perfectly even tension and i'm like probably good not. luck <laughs> with that <laughs> you know yeah well the hard, hardest part about i think all this wheel building thing isn't like you can figure it out watch the youtube videos whatever but that park tensiometer everyone gets it's not too expensive and it works but you have to translate the numbers, it's like a series of numbers that don't necessarily mean anything on their own, but yep. they correlate to the kilograms per millimeter. I want to, I forget the exact unit. That offhand. seems right, yeah. KG, ah, I'm, I've had so many emails about this for OEM wheels, and I'm told it's been a couple of years now, and I'm yeah. blanking. But you have to correlate, you have to measure your spoke diameter, and then from that spoke diameter, look at the chart to figure out what number that correlates to at what tensions. And yep. you got to be sure you're not going over or under 
the rim manufacturer's recommended yeah. tension. And that'll change if they have eyelets or if they're using whatever series of aluminum yep. or carbon, Ex I guess. Exactly. Yeah, and it's different for each one. So you can't just be like, oh, this tension is always going to be right for a yeah. 29er wheel. It's dependent on rims and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's a good reason to take your wheels to a bike shop, have them do it. Uh, and make sure it's really good bike shop because yes, it's hard. It's really hard to work on crusty old wheels. It truly yeah, is. Yeah, it's definitely a, a talent. Uh, but you can do a lot of this stuff even before taking it to a shop. And if you are feeling mechanically inclined, this is totally something that you can learn. Uh, there's some great um, websites out there that kind of teach about this. Um, Sheldon Brown is kind of where oh, I got yeah. my first start cool. into doing this. I think I messed up probably 30 wheels first, but uh, that was okay. <laughs> or you get the spokes crossing over the valve stem the wrong yeah. way. So it's hard to get a pump in there. <laughs> yeah. So um, They get looser every time you pedal instead of tighter. Yeah, exactly. It was always weird. Um, but no, I, you know, I kind of got into this uh, prior to actually being in the bike industry just because I was a kid who wanted to fix things. I'm kind of mechanically inclined and I was like, I can figure this out. And I did a lot of things wrong, but when I kind of started finding resources and people to help me, uh, it became pretty easy. And there's a lot you can do at home. Uh, you know, just one of the most simple things is checking general spoke tension. Yeah. I don't if you mean find accurate. a super loose guy, give him a little. I mean, you know, yeah. I don't know how much we want to tell the world to just go go nuts on their spokes <laughs> with a spoke wrench. But I've had if you you can do the squeeze test, get a rough feel for how tight everything is. Keep in mind if it's two spokes have been crossed for two years and then you break them free. Yep. You got to keep in mind that once they've broken free, that's probably closer to their actual tension than yep. before that. So keep that in mind. They're not actually rock like rock hard tight. Right. But if you have a super loose spoke, I feel like it's okay to get it back down to snug. Yeah, and I always uh, tend to tell people uh, if you're measuring this by hand, you know, it's obviously what you're doing. Uh, and shop guys do this too. I did this all the time. I'd get a wheel in and I'd go through and I basically would grab parallel spokes. Okay. Right? Um, yeah. Often you'll see people grab the cross spokes. But when you do that, what you get is they move across each other and you'll hear that weird little, you know, or whatever. And people are like, oh, I heard a noise. It must be wrong. And you're like, well, no, it's fine. Yeah. So if you grab parallel spokes, they don't move across each other. And you get a real feel or kind of the tension from spoke to spoke. You'll have less of that so, friction issue as you just squish them because they won't be squishing it as much against yeah, each other. exactly. So, you know, go through your wheel, feel both sides of parallel spokes and make sure that they're, um, they feel evenly tensioned to each other. Uh, it, this isn't a measure of what the tension of the spoke actually is. This is more about seeing if everything around the wheel is equal. And if you have one that goes and just moves a ton, bring that up, you know, a quarter turn at a time until yeah. it feels close. Um, to, and be to, ready for it to be loose again in a few more <laughs> That is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you could do that. But that's a good sign that you might want to take the, um, your, your wheel in. Uh, other things to look for, like you said, are cracks in the rim, right? On both sides, too. So I think it's smart yeah. to just go ahead and pop your tire off Absolutely. and then make sure you're probably not going to have any sealant left after a long winter. But take the rim tape off and then look at the underside of that because there can be a hidden crack running lengthwise in there that can end up being really sketchy. Yep. So that's worth just re Tape's so cheap. It's so easy to do. And that's the number one problem in tubeless tires is punctured tape. And then yeah. I, I would get phone calls at WTB like, hey, this rim isn't working. And you chat with them for a while and it turns out the tape has a massive crack that they didn't notice. Like tape yeah. is the weakest link in a tubeless or system. some of the sealant got under the adhesive and just slowly worked yeah, it up. Yeah, any of that stuff. So yeah. I think it makes sense just to redo your tape every year. So it's easy to do. It's stuff super affordable. Yeah. 
And you it, you buy one roll, and that'll do. Generally, they'll do like two to four tires, depending on the size of the roll. Yeah, I think I was quoting wheel, five sorry. wheels per roll when I was at WTB yeah. back back then. Who knows about now? But probably something about that. I had an aluminum rim once crack lengthwise for like probably six. Um, what? Yeah, it was, it was a Bond Trigger wheel, and Bond Trigger wheels are usually really, really, really good. Yeah. And this wheel, like, it was stood way too much. And so I just kept assuming it was invincible. So I put this little, like, 17-mil cross-country wheel through a ton of, like, Super D and Enduro races. <laughs> this is a while ago. And the thing worked so well for so long. And then one day it kept tacoing on me when I landed a little bit sideways. But then it would snap right back and it would be fine. <laughs> and I couldn't tell if it was, like, an axle, a swing arm, or what. But then I pulled the tape off and saw this crack running lengthwise. And it was enough that it... Yeah, Jeez. it would just bend a, a really odd amount, and you couldn't tell from the outside, but once you got the rim tape off, you could see this giant crack running lengthwise. I think that's the first time I've ever heard of a lengthwise crack, so Weird things I'm can impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, that awesome. was a good wheel. Though. It lasted a long time, so I don't mean to throw any yeah. shade. Von Traeger stuff's no, solid. But. No, no, they make great stuff. Um, yeah, so I think it's a great idea, and the likelihood is if you spent a good amount of time riding the season before, uh, taking your wheel or your tires off is probably necessary anyway because yeah. you're probably due for new tread because um, so it's interesting out here uh, we've got pretty amazing dirt out here but we do get a fair bit of rock that when happens. did you move to Hood River uh, a year ago yeah exactly a year ago yeah okay. uh, well not quite Ju- July will be a year oh so. okay so you did have plenty of ball bearing summer yeah really yeah, slippery yeah. conditions yeah okay. okay and and tires definitely see their wear and tear out here yeah. um back in the Midwest where I was at we have unbelievable superhero dirt um nice. and tires the tread doesn't tend to wear out but what i actually found is that after a season or two the rubber actually or two started. you would go two full seasons oh, oh so, my goodness so my buddy would get like four seasons out of a set of oh Schwalbe, gosh life's blew, too short oh which my would gosh. blow my mind right oh like, goodness but uh what we found though is that the the um the rubber itself would start to get a little bit weird and less like the responsiveness the rebound all that stuff started yeah it, it dries out and gets firmer yeah and more plasticky and it's way less predictable on the trail yeah it's, so. it's not worth it life's short new tires like even if you get one new pair a year yeah it's gonna feel so much better it's that's super worth yeah and if you're in a place like california or like what the terrain you were riding out in austin texas oh man. which by the <laughs> way that video like those trails look so awesome. Some of that looks scary, like legit big. I was like, oh, <laughs> they got some stuff going on Yeah, there's there. some jumps so, up there. Yeah. But like terrain like that is probably going to wear your tires out even faster than Anytime that. you're riding through rocks, it's going to eat yeah. things up. Rocks and then drier climates, the desert. I feel yeah. like the desert, like Phoenix, riding on South Mountain, mm-hmm. that place will... And South Mountain isn't even that rough per se, but you get so much traction Riding in Utah and Moab, yep. even Sedona will kind of... Sedona's not as hard as Moab, but still, that stuff really eats through tires fast. Up in Bellingham, people will definitely get full years out of tires. Yeah. And even back in the Bay Area, like down in San Luis Obispo, we were lucky to get eight weeks out of a set of tires. Yep. Yeah. But that's just a very different, very dry, very, very, very sharp, rocky situation yep. versus like soft fluffy loam <laughs> yeah so you're obviously going to need to base this upon what you've got going on in your area how often you're riding and everything but the likelihood is is generally per season you're going to need to replace your tires so let's pop them off the wheels yeah. replace those and while you're in there check your rim tape check your rim redo your sealant yeah. uh, a good thing to do while you have that all off is 
either replace your valves or what I often do is remove the cores from my valves and, and I out. just hit them with like a little um, probe or hit them I with my air compressor. You yeah. can ask your dentist yep. for an old pick and they'll usually just be like, here you go. Or you can yep. get them on Amazon for like a dollar ninety nine yep. piece. Exactly. That's I use those all Jensen the time. Jensen should so. sell dental picks. We wow. Have, we have the park ones on our oh, side. Oh, those are yeah. nice. Those and they really work. Nice. They're magnetized, which is really nice. What? Yeah. So cool. when you're doing like bearings or, and stuff like that. Oh. Wow. Yeah. That's it's kind of cool. I need to or check like the out. Industry 9, um, the spring poles. Okay. Uh, those little springs, it's amazing. That's oh, my favorite tool for that. So, um, cool. yeah, so that's wheel maintenance. Uh, anything else? Nah, I think we're good on wheels. Yeah, double check um, your rotor oh, bolts. I was yeah, I yeah. was actually getting a bike out for my film rotor ride down in Bend, and I was riding around, like, trying to, you know, it, it's been sitting for, like, a month, and the brakes just needed to be ridden a little bit to start grabbing again. And I'm like, there's some clunking going on. What's, what's going on here? Like, is my axle loose? Couldn't quite sort it out. And then I was looking... Sure enough, I had like six loose rotor bolts Whoa. out of nowhere. So it's worth it to just check, especially yep. with six bolt that your torque's still up on those six bolts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then I guess while we're talking about brakes, um, this kind of brings us to what I was calling the control area of the bike, because this is going to be more <laughs> than just brakes. But, you know, you want to make sure that um, your shifting and your brakes and all that stuff are working. So, um, you know, once you get your wheels and tires back on your bike, you're going to want to go out, hit your street or whatever, and do some hot laps where you're just checking to yeah. see if you've got any crazy noises coming from your brake pads. If you've got, like, screeching or mad brake fade or anything, there's probably some stuff you need to look at, right? Whether it's not a bad idea while you have your wheels off to look inside your calipers or the flashlight and see yeah. how much life is left on your brake pads. Yeah. If they're fine, awesome. If they're not fine, this is you got to figure this out before you get yeah. down to the metal. And it's it's pretty easy to know. I mean, like when you look in there, you're like, oh, that's thin. Yeah, yeah like yeah. that's done. Um, and again, it's just a it's a quick look. And to remove brake pads, usually it's just a simple pin, and you pull them out and drop in new ones. Uh, when you do drop in the new ones, you will want to gently push back your pistons mm -hmm. in in your uh, caliper. Uh, I say gently because even myself, I have cracked an old pair of XT. Oh wow, pistons. the ceramic piston. Yeah, tire um, levers work well to push them back because they're exactly. soft plastic. Yeah, yeah, the the big fat ones, like the uh, the yellow Pedro's ones, are my my favorite ones for that. Um, but yeah, like something soft or what I've done in the past is used um, the round in of a, like a wrench okay. and, and dropped it in there, um, like a box end wrench, dropped it in there with a rag over it. And that helped to kind of just soften things up. I used to do so, that, but I, I still actually have some Lazine tire levers I've been using more lately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, something nice and wide to push against it evenly yeah. and, and kind of sit it back there. And you're not pushing way back. I mean, this is literally just making it flush with the, the caliper. I have a question so. for you. So yeah. me not being Mr. Experienced SRAM guy, um, I did have some older bikes with SRAM brakes. And I noticed that the dot fluid they use after a winter of hanging on the wall or sitting there, usually all of a sudden there's no more free play in the lever. Yeah. And so what I've done, I don't know if it's proper or not, I just open up the bleed port and just squish a little bit of fluid out and like <laughs> assume it's probably yeah. going to work okay. But I, I bet there's a better way to do it. So do you actually like drain your fluid and redo the whole thing or what are you so, doing with those? So likely what's happening there okay. is, um, uh, you know, without spending more time with that specific break, I can't make this as a definitive statement. But sure. I've noticed um, that on some guides over the years. Like they're great breaks. It's just after a long time of sitting still, it, sometimes that the free play goes away. Yeah. So dot fluid is hygroscopic, which means it likes water, right? 
Uh, so likely what's happening is you can't have a perfectly sealed system. So likely it is actually adding volume to It's absorbing fluid. water it's from absor- the air or whatnot. Yeah. yeah. And so most likely you're just kind of over uh, pressurizing the system. Yeah. And so your, your solution works well as kind of a stopgap. If you're trying to get the most performance out of your brakes, adding water into dot fluid is not going to do that because yeah, that's water where will boil. That will boil and yeah. it'll introduce bubbles and then you'll lose power. And so, um, and as a long term trails fix, out there that are cliffside and that would not be ideal. Yeah. As a long term fix, probably not your best. Yeah. Um, and I always say like, you know, if you, again, if you've ridden your brakes hard for a season, you probably need to bleed them anyway. And again, this is a fairly simple process. It's not terribly hard, especially if you have something like a Shimano brake. SRAM uh, is definitely getting easier. Um, With the dual syringe system. Yeah, they, they've definitely um, improved it in recent years. Uh, it's still a touch harder. But I will say that uh, Shimano is one of the easiest out there. I mean, it, you just kind of push the fluid through from one side to the other, and you do a couple of lever things. And Usually at the end of the, you know, when you're getting your bike ready for the spring, you don't have to bleed your brakes. So I don't want to scare folks yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> going it's, through their bike. But um, yeah, I was just curious it, about the, the SRAM thing. Does So I know TRP is using mineral oil. So is Shimano, of course, and Magura. Um, do you know what Haze is using these days? Are they still on dot fluid? I think they're still on dot fluid. Okay. It's been a while since yeah. I've done a haze break, but I think um, they're still on dot. Hope's also on mineral. Hope is on mineral. Yeah. I would say at this point, it's almost the majority of them that are on mineral. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some benefits to dot fluid, but with finned rotors and pads and stuff, some of that benefit is going away because basically the main benefit was a higher boiling point. Okay. And so if you're taking care of that at other places, it's not as necessary. So I like working with uh, mineral oil myself. Uh, I I ride Shimano brakes, even though I love the way SRAM brakes feel. Mm -hmm. I love that feeling. I actually switch out my brake pads to non-Shimano brake pads. Oh, wow. What pads do you use? I use Swiss Stop. Because the Shimano brakes with Swiss top pads feels more like a SRAM brake. Huh. But what feel are you looking for? More modulation? More modulation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking for less. So I do go for the metallic pads. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm i terrible at wheelies and stuff like that. <laughs> like absolutely horrendous. It Although, should be easier with uh, more modulation rather than less. Well, so that's why I go that way. Because okay. with more, I just find that every time I go to like try to control the wheelie position, I slam my nose back down oh, because I just tap it yeah. and it's gone. And um, I am getting better though. I've been spending a ton of time at our pump track and oh, cool. I now can manual five steps. Five different sections. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm feeling pretty you get good a high about five it. For that. So. <laughs> cool. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, brake stuff. It's pretty easy, though. Like, uh, I don't be scared of bleeding brakes. That's It's really not that bad. There's the so many YouTube thing. videos on how to do it. Now, oh, man, too. everywhere. I think Park Tool actually has a really good one. They, they do, and they do. I think they do it for a couple of different brakes, too. Cool. So you can, you can definitely learn. And most brands will have uh, bleed protocols yeah. out there and stuff uh, on there. And really, it's one of those things that once you learn it, you're like, oh, that's not so bad. And it's a great maintenance thing to do at home. So so what do you do for your shifting at the end of the, the beginning of the season? Yeah. So for me, I just believe in new cables. Yeah. And that's that's my thing. And I, I'm really about the metal cable, not the actual housing itself. Um, housing, if it's still feeling good uh, when I just kind of pull it off the stand or off the rack for the first time and it feels okay, I'm less likely to replace that. 
um, because that doesn't seem to wear out as fast. But I generally will do just a fresh set of metal cables in there. Um, and I'm a big fan of the Shimano ones that have the like impregnated whatever they put on it. Okay. Like, they're not expensive. The coating, yeah. yeah, they're coated with the Siltec I've, or whatever. I'm not sure which one's better. I've had good results with both, but I actually do replace my shift housing fairly frequently. I end up having to ride in the pouring rain quite a bit. Yeah. And I've noticed that when the metal strands start to extend out yes. past the housing, which can happen for me pretty quick, like four months of lots of rainy yeah. rides, and I'll notice that starting to happen. Yep. That's when I actually replace the housing, once I see those strands. Yeah, and ends. I think that's an absolutely good reason, because now you're separating all the different layers. And yeah, you can like, just tell it's worked. And the good thing <laughs> is if you're going in to replace the actual like steel cable or whatever in there, you're going to pull that uh, end cap off and be able to look at that real fast and be like, oh, yeah, strands have all separated. I should probably replace my housing, too. And nowadays you can get kits that are all you know, ready to go. They've got all the ferrules and end yeah. caps and stuff. Fresh ferrules are definitely worthwhile. Oh yeah. And here's an interesting one that I've always gone with. And I, uh, in researching for what we were going to talk about today, I actually found other mechanics corroborating this, but I've always said that depending on the bike or the area that I live in, that I do uh, sealed um, ferrules okay. at the derailleur side of things. And unsealed up at the shifter side to reduce any friction because yeah. they do add friction. Yeah. Um, or if it's a cyclocross bike or a gravel bike that I think I am just going to be out in gnarly, gross weather, sealed on both ends gotcha. because I just want to keep that water out as much yeah. as possible. Yeah. I've been doing sealed on both ends because when I get a chance to ride, I need to take it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so other things is you just want to make sure your shifters are working properly. Um, you know, things sitting around, they can get bumped and twisted and whatever. So you might have to put a turn or two on your barrel adjuster. Double check that so. your seat post cable, if it's a, yes. a cable actuated, that it doesn't have any loose frayed strands. So it's kind of worthwhile yeah. to pop your seat post out of the bike, re-clean it all up because that's kind of yep. galvanic corrosion is a real thing and your yeah. seat post can definitely weld itself into your carbon frame quite easily, yeah. especially if it's been ridden through a lot of water. And so, then you're losing a several hundred dollar seat post and frame. If and you a front triangle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So definitely. <laughs> and I've noticed the, the reverb seat post works great, but if you spill that suspension fluid in there, it yep. can kind of speed up the process. Yep. But um, yeah, checking that that shift cable that goes to actuate the dropper post, it's hidden on the inside of the frame in this day and age, making sure that thing's not ready to break. Yeah. It can be downright dangerous if you go to drop your seat post before some hectic drop and your seat post doesn't yep. actually go down. Next thing you know, you're high posting it down. Yeah. Yeah. Down Skid Hill. Yeah, that's not a good solution. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's, again, one of those control points, you know, like you just got to think of this all uh, as needing to be fresh and good. And you know, I've gone seasons. Like, in fact, I grabbed mine this season, and my my cable and housing for my dropper was in great condition. It was functioning phenomenally, and so I just put everything back. Yeah. Uh, shifters, not so much. So I replaced those and did those ones. And so, you know, sometimes you have to do it. Other times you don't. Um, but you definitely want to check these things. And I, I, the dropper post one for me is so clutch because it's so easy these days. Like, uh, one up uh, PNWs, all their all their dropper posts are so easy to like pull out, pull the cable off, look at it, make sure everything's working properly, it's clean, all that stuff. The nice thing about that loam lever is you do you no longer need an actual ball end yep. on your cable. So if you yep. need to 
shrink your cable down a little bit if your ends are a tad mangled and you don't have a, a fresh housing on hand or you've got a ride happening in an hour and you just gotta go yeah. you can always trim a little bit off and then cut down your you don't need to have that ball there anymore so you've got more room to work with yeah it's funny i am such a fanboy for that lever cool it is so <laughs> so good like I, I periodically just send aaron like love text messages where i'm like dear aaron thank you for building the best lever ever like, nice yeah it's uh it's so good and like there's some great competitors out there um, yeah wolf tooth makes a really that nice wolf lever too. one is amazing i think one up does a um, really cool one as well yeah theirs is real similar and then um, SDG has like one yeah. of the, they have a great lever feel. I don't the actual like form of the lever I don't think is all that amazing, but it's a great feel at the lever. Um, really light cool. for theirs. Um, but when it comes down to it, like if I'm picking one, my bike is going to get that loam lever. Like yeah. It's, oh, I love it's that thing too. So, so awesome. So huge fan. Um, suspension. We want to go to that. Yeah, I think it's time. All man, right. man, replacing fork seals. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things that needs done. It's not too complicated. Don't be too afraid of simply replacing the fork seals, but getting more involved, replacing bushings, yep. rebuilding a damper. I don't have time for any of that. That's where I'm setting stuff out or going to a shop. Yeah, right. And there's a ton of great places you can do it. You can do those at your local shop. Um, often they might even send it out uh, yeah. from there to Fox, Rock Shocks, or they may send it to um, companies like, well, I guess Push isn't doing this anymore, right? I don't know what Push does these well, days. I think they're just in the, the, they're on our side now. Like they're we just actually, aftermarket? Yeah, I think okay. it's all aftermarket. Wow. But there's still Avalanche and a bunch of other Fox has a full service direct-to-consumer service yeah. program, and they will even do some revalve stuff too. If you, yeah. yeah, you give them some, some information and they'll dial that in for you. Yeah, but so. man, just replacing the the lower the oil and the lowers the actual yeah. slider lube it's super easy to do and none of that stuff's that expensive no and it can be intimidating to look at taking your twelve hundred dollar fork apart but it's not that bad to replace yeah. the, that seal right there the rock shocks ones aren't bad either they're both pretty straightforward yeah. the biggest part about a uh, suspension service of that caliber is basically just buying the right tools the first time. And it's not a crazy amount, but there are some like seal cups and things that help to press those seals in properly. Because gotcha. I've seen a lot of these like DIY ones where people then are trying to return just mangled seals. And I'm oh, like, man. sorry, like that's not <laughs> how that works. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so I definitely recommend like get the proper tools, get a torque wrench, like do those things. Yes, it's going to be a little bit expensive up front because torque wrenches aren't cheap but once you have those they're a great shop tool for all kinds of stuff and then your next fork service i mean you get a set of seals that most seals are somewhere between like teens and maybe into the 20s or 30s. yeah seals are real affordable the oil is not bad yeah real quick question though does jensen have multiple torque wrenches in stock we do cool yeah how yeah. much does a torque um, wrench cost in this day and age so it depends. Okay. Uh, we have our foundation brand stuff that okay. we do, and that's a pretty affordable one. Uh, off the top of my head, I won't be able to get it, but I'm, I think sub $50. Oh, nice. Um, wow. Yeah. And then uh, if you get into like Shimano or Park and stuff, mm -hmm. you're probably reaching more close to like 80s into the $100 range. And do all those work with um, different bits or are they dedicated for one size? Yeah. So most all of them will have some sort of like uh, quick release for different okay. socket sizes. And usually they'll come with some sockets as well. So that's a lot um, cheaper than the snap-on torque wrenches. Out there. Yes. Way cheaper. <laughs> and one pro tip for torque wrenches, 
always back them down to zero Oh, torque. so they don't, yeah, get inaccurate yeah, over time. because they will recalibrate over yeah. time. And they're going to recalibrate anyway as you use these tools for yeah. you know 15 years, but you can slow that process way down cool. by always taking it down to zero torque. Um, so that's a little pro tip to make sure those are running good. So shock service, I'm a fan of sending them out. Replace, I don't think it's that hard to replace the main seal, but yep. I've never had the time to dive into one of those fully just to replace the seal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've done a lot of damper and air cartridge service things over the years, uh, but a big part of that was is I was doing that for the shop life anyway. Okay. As my own, um, I probably just <laughs> lean towards sending it out. Yeah. Like, and it's not that people can't do it. It is a bigger project. And again, you do have to have a bunch of little tools. Often there's like little IFP float valves and things that you have to properly fill to just the right amount. And, and you're going to need to remove the darn thing from the bike in the first place. Whereas the fork, all you got to do is take the front wheel off and you can do it with the fork still on the bike. Yep, yep. So. And the other thing is uh, seal service is often, it's much more frequent. I, it, Last time, I think it was somewhere around 40 or 50 hours. For a fork. For a fork. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those are ride hours, just so we know. It's not like 40 hours in your garage. <laughs> um, <laughs> Has someone so been assuming that lately? <laughs> I've had people ask. Um, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so, you know, it, it, people always ask me, like, what does that mean? Like, how many times a year does that equate to? And I'm like, well, that all depends on you. Yeah. But if I'm going to just give a rough like absolute rough thing you should be replacing your seals at a dead minimum once a year and probably more likely twice a year yeah um if you're riding a ton you're probably looking at four times a year even yeah. um, but it's not very hard and yeah i mean things kind of just you loosen a few bolts you slide things off you drain it into an oil pan uh, hardest part is you know taking your oil to an oil recycling yeah. place like that's that's the hardest part um, make sure you write down your air pressures and stuff before you do all this so that you know what you're getting into. Um, cause otherwise you, it's probably better to write down your air pressure settings at the end of the season rather yes. than after it's sat all winter, because yes. that air pressure can definitely change. Yes, absolutely. Sitting around is, is, uh, again, things aren't fully sealed, no. right? Like they, they do change. And if someone borrowed your bike in the off season to go to a trip to Sedona, you might yeah. want to double check it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's set up as you're expecting. A low fork pressure could be kind of sketchy. Yeah, for sure. And on that note, um, I definitely think uh, just having a shock pump is an absolute must. Oh, my goodness. Forks um, used to come with them back in the day. Right? <laughs> it was amazing. So uh, so we'd mentioned um, torque wrenches. Yeah. And the last piece, I think, for me on a maintenance thing is just check all your torques like every single bolt on your bike has a torque spec and some of them are really high so you can just kind of use your hand and you know use the old calibrated elbow but if calibrated elbow with, with a grain of salt like it's great to know the torque spec and then if you understand so say it's a 14 foot pound torque spec i think that's moving 14 pounds with a one foot lever yeah like if you're a foot out from something and you're pushing it 14 pounds, that's that's not tons of force, but it's substantial. It's substantial. So if it's like four or five foot pounds, that's not a whole lot. Yeah. So and as you're looking mind. these things up or seeing, you know, trying to figure out what they are, often they're printed on different parts, yeah. you know. Directly on the parts uh, these yeah, days. Yeah, like nice. right on the stem or right on the uh, seat <clears throat> clamp or whatever. Um, make sure you're doing the conversion if it says newton meters or foot pound or sometimes even you'll have things like foot inch oh geez those are scary yeah. or, or sorry um inch pound sorry yeah um but yeah like 
But it's a good place to know when there's a red flag, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Two foot pounds. Okay, I probably shouldn't just go ahead and use the old calibrated elbow with this. Maybe maybe be gentle on this guy. Yeah, and so there are a couple different ranges of um, torque wrenches. Some are designed for those small torques, uh, and others are for much larger numbers. Um, And so it's not a bad idea to have a couple around. One of the things that I really like are the small ones from, like, Richie and stuff. Uh, Park now makes a, a little adjustable one, but they're they're designed for like basically one to maybe eight okay. uh, foot pound. You know they're they're pretty low, um, but they're you know they're little ratchet ones. And I actually just leave mine in my car so that I can wow. check it at the trail. There you go. Uh, and then my nicer wrenches are at at the house, and those are the ones that I do when I'm doing proper maintenance. Um, but True torque will make sure that everything's good on your frame, that you're not going to have weird slips out on the trail, seat posts sliding down. Since we're in the context of May, so possibly it's spring cleaning after a busy winter riding season, or maybe the bike's been sitting for a long time, it's not a bad idea to actually loosen these bolts. And if Mm, they need Loctite, fresh Loctite, or if they need grease, go ahead and put some fresh grease on it. But I say loosen these bolts because if a bolt is seized in place, yeah then it might not actually be that tight, but it's just locked itself in place. So you're getting a false torque reading. Yeah. And if it is stuck in place, it's nice to know when you're at your workshop and you can go get an easy out or an extractor tool. Yep. And you're not stuck in some rad riding destination with a bike that's going to be a disaster to get on the trail. And I will recommend don't use your torque wrench for loosening your bolts. No. (laughs) That is not what they're designed for. Grab a proper wrench, uh, you know, an Allen or or hex key and use the proper one to loosen it um, because these are a precise measuring tool and we want to keep them working precisely. Yeah, we could do a whole episode on torque wrenches. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm kind of a geek about it. I have a really nice digital one that I got uh, as a. Does it beep when you hit torque? Yeah. Nice. It vibrates too. Oh so, wow! So if you're if you can't hear it because yeah. music's playing too loud, don't worry. <laughs> It'll let you know. So. That's classic. Yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, there's the common things you'll want to make sure you check your pedals. Uh, you don't want to have a loose pedal. I have seen enough people strip those out. Yeah. The torque spec um, is crazy high. 34, I believe it's 34 Newton meters yeah. on the pedal to the crank arm. And that's gnarly. I never go that high personally because it's, I cannot undo them. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I go quite a bit lower than that just because with like a six inch long eight millimeter Allen key, I can't get it yep. that tight, let alone loosen it back up after it's, it's sat for a while. Yeah. yeah. So, but just be careful that it's pretty darn tight because if those back up it can be dangerous you can yeah. break a tib fib real easy with a pedal that rips out of a crank yeah and uh other things or if you love your cranks it's actually <laughs> a really good idea to remove your pedals periodically and re-grease yes them especially if it's an aluminum crank with a titanium pedal spindle yeah it could that thing can just freeze up in there and yeah. that is the end of that i've we've had some where we've had uh lever arms that are six feet long pipe on the end of a big oh, bar gosh. and like still couldn't get it off. And so yeah. we just retired cranks, you know? So. You know, on the list of must-have items for doing this whole maintenance yeah. deal, I think Loctite would probably be on that. Okay. Definitely grease, a good proper grease. Yep. But I think titanium anti-seize, copper-based. Yep. A lot of people don't even think about it. And it's kind of gnarly stuff. You do not want to eat it. You want to wear gloves when you work with yep. it. But that stuff is really key because anytime a titanium bolt's going into an aluminum thread, it can totally weld itself into place yeah. pretty easily. Yeah. yeah. 
And to add to that list, I'm a huge fan of carbon paste. Yes, the tax um, or the FSA made some nice yep, stuff too. Yep, I keep just a little thing of that around, yeah. and it takes hardly any. I've been using some of my grips against the handlebars yeah. so they don't ever slip. Yep, it works fantastically. Yeah. Yeah, and you then you can go lower like, torque on your brake levers too if you use some, or yeah. specified torque, will, and it won't slip when you crash. Maybe it'll slip a little with the big crash, but yeah, that stuff's cool. Yeah, because it. It's good stuff. And it's weird because it does have kind of a gritty feel. So that's kind of what keeps things in place. Technically, you could but make it by throwing some sand and some grease. Never tried, but <laughs> it was always cheap enough to just get the <laughs> exactly, little Exactly. Get the real know. stuff. But So, yeah, it's good stuff, though. Um, so as far as I think probably our final thing is like, what are your um, kind of must-have tools in the shop? Because I always oh, would man. get questions like... I want to build out my shop, but okay. I can't buy everything. Yeah. What do I what do I need right now? What are the most crucial things? Man, if you really want to work on your bike and have a good time, I think a good stand is yes. pretty worthwhile. Yes. And I am going to shamelessly plug here. The, the foundation that, stand? That foundation wall and um, bench mount one. Bang for the buck. That thing is unbelievably good cool. you saw that i actually have it mounted on the you back do. door of my van i thought it was where you eat dinner because the thing's so nice <laughs> replace yeah. your table it's so good and it's functional it packs away easily i've got buddies who have just mounted it in their garage wall or on a deck or you know different things it's such a good thing and it's yeah. cheap it's like 50 bucks or something like that nice. it's it's so rad um and then I haven't used this myself, um, but I have several buddies who use our foundation uh, work stand that seems really nice. That's the actual like upright one. My personal favorite um, is the, for the kind of the to go aspect is that feedback ultimate one. Oh, I've seen those. A lot oh. of friends have had them with good experiences. They're, I haven't owned one. They're yet. so good. Cool. They're one of the most stable portable stands um, of any stand I've worked with. And the thing that makes or breaks those over all the others out there is they have that quick release clamp head. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. Where you kind of just slide it in and it clamps into yeah. place and then you just add a, like micro torque uh, to your seat post. It's such a good stand. So nice. um, it, that one's pretty pricey, but it is awesome. Um, has a built-in scale, a digital scale, if I remember right. Uh, mine didn't. Oh, Mine's man. old though. So yeah. I've had mine for like 10 years now. So. Oh man, a roommate of mine yeah. quite a while ago had one with a digital scale. You hang oh. your saddle with the tip of the saddle on this little pad. Man. And it had, yeah, fancy. I don't, I don't know how have accurate that it was. One. <laughs> well, the one I have though does have the bottle opener attachment oh, to it. Swanky. And a cool feature, um, you know, one of the things if you are going to get into wheel stuff, uh, truing stand is a big deal. Um, but for the amount of wheels I do, I couldn't justify buying a big park one and stuff. Yeah. I just don't do that many wheels sure. this, these days. So I actually got the feedback one that attaches to the work stand cool. and it's a single arm device. If you're building a hundred wheels a year, you definitely don't want this one. Yeah. Get the proper park one do that. But if you're like me where you might build a wheel here or there, yeah. or you're doing some truing maintenance. That feedback thing is so cool. It folds into the stand so you can take it, throw it in the car with you, go to the trails. Um, big fan of that one. So You know what else is pretty mandatory for working on your bike? Yes. A really good floor pump. Yes. Oh, oh my, my gosh. Goodness. And they can be hard to find sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I definitely have had good and bad experiences with floor pumps. Some have uh, seen the demise of the trash can because oh, I was no. so angry. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you have a, a 
preferred one that you like? You know, I actually bought this Topeak one, and it's okay. one of the tubeless type, and I think it's purposely designed for tubeless tires. And yeah. it's, I like most things about it. It'll inflate tubeless tires sometimes better than my air compressor, yep. which is great, and I can put it in the van. The only thing I don't like about it is it's so big. I have to, if I want to do a full stroke, it's like up to my head height yeah, to do a full big. pump. And it's so high, my daughter can't inflate my tires because she, the one thing she loves doing is pumping up mama yeah. and dad as bike tires. Yeah. My Every da- kid loves that. My kid's <laughs> way into it too. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I have the Lazign one. Oh, um, cool. And I had it when they were using the ABS2 head, which I found. When it was working good, it worked good. When it didn't, that had some serious leak issues. Oh, but man. their new head, I replaced it. Oh, cool. And it works amazingly. Nice. So I'm a huge fan of that. And so does that have a charge-style chamber that'll inflate a tubeless yep, tire? Okay, yep, cool. Yep. It, uh, and I think it's something crazy like 250 PSI oh, or some bar. crazy number. Yeah. It's like way past what I can actually manually get it to. You know, I'm exhausted before I get to that <laughs> number. But it seems to set tires great. Cool. And so, yeah, huge fan of that. So good floor pump's key. Have a shock pump. Yep, shock pump, um, a, a, a good run of hex keys or yes. Allen set, a set as people make sure it goes them. all the way up to eight millimeters. Don't just yeah get stuck at six. Yeah, and like you know, if you're me, I'm gonna tell you you might as well keep going to twelve, and then it's hard to find it. Tw- like most of the sets I found over the years at hardware stores only kind of end at ten, so yeah, it can be tough yeah. to find the twelve. And that's where bike ones tend to be pretty good because yeah. they will generally go up in the bigger sizes cool. because that is more common but there's also some tools that you may have to look at um like if you run certain race face cranks you may actually need to get one of their bigger ones where yeah. they run like a 16 um and just in case that extractor starts to back yep, itself out yep. yeah and back before they actually made that tool i did um i used i went to the hardware store and just used a bolt with yep. a bunch of nuts on it to create my own um, but now they offer that tool and it's much better than my solution. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've had to do that before too. Like the night before a race, like yeah. how can I undo this? <laughs> yeah. So it's funny cause that tool, even though I have the proper tool, that tool lives in my like go toolbox Nice, because it's tiny and small yeah. and it's, you know, but, uh, yeah, so good set of Allens. Cable um, cutters, real oh cable cutters. Shimano yes. or Park. Oh, my god. Yes, and w- Jeff, why don't we want to just use side cutters or cable dikes? Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember being 10 years old and trying to just use regular snippers like yep. from my dad's toolbox at his yep. electrical collection. And, oh, my goodness, it couldn't cut through the cable. And once it did, the end was so frayed I couldn't put it through the ferrule, exactly. let alone get it to the brake. So. Yeah, so the, the thing that sets these ones apart is there's basically like cupped ends to the actual cutting um, part of the the crimps or whatever and so they wrap around the cable and cut it pretty much from all sides at once and it's such a clean cut you can actually feed it through the housing after you cut it with that and most of them will have a little thing that you may not know of but just a little set of like dimple type of looking things uh, behind the handle or or just back from the cutting surface that is actually designed to um press your cable crimps into place yeah so you put your little cable crimp on and you squeeze it with this and it locks it in place gives you that really pro double crimp look on them and everything so some torx bits or torx keys are pretty nice to have as well yes and that is t-o-r-x we are not talking about like a torque wrench no (laughs) a whole different topic yeah but confusingly enough you can put a torx fitting on a torque wrench oh my gosh worlds collide yes so torx is uh the star looking and so you have 
uh, what most people refer to as Allen wrenches. Those are often, those are actually called a hex key. Um, but in this case, uh, Torx is a multi-starred type of thing. I yeah. think, what is it like? It's like 12 surfaces or something. I can't remember what the count is. But those are really important, and those are going to be important, uh, especially for things like brakes and stuff. They yeah. often, especially Rotors, SRAM, especially SRAM's right? all about it. Chain ring bolts will often use the bigger. Is yeah. that the T thirty five? I want to say. Yep, it's a little Usually, bit bigger. Yeah. yeah, Shimano does that too. Actually, T thirty five on yeah. the chain ring bolts now. And it used to be that you had to have the. Um, chain ring nut tool oh Ugh. thank goodness those days I'm are done i'm so god i'm <laughs> so glad that thing's gone i have knocked so many knuckles trying oh, to hold yes. that thing and then you slam it into a chain ring or a tooth and uh, i'm so glad we're done with that uh It'll come back, I'm sure, at some yeah, point. Right? <laughs> New <It's like> standard. <laughs> threaded BBs and this. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Uh, I don't think people really need bottom bracket tools as often as they used to, but that can be a worthwhile tool to have because it's really cheap. I like the Shimano yep. ones. They're dirt cheap. A lot of the Shimano bottom brackets come with that adapter to fit their newer, smaller yep. size. And then if you have center lock rotors, that'll also take your rotors on and off. Yeah, that's definitely a good tool. And in a lot of the kits that you get these days, those are often included, um, cool. especially the Shimano one. Uh, if you're in a lot of, of kits, other, like a build kit or like a uh, toolkit, yeah, like a toolkit. Okay. So the small kits that have you know like a chain cleaner, some okay. hex keys, torx keys, and those are are pretty good toolkits to do. Often they'll have some stuff in there that you may already own or that isn't going to be super necessary. Um, like the old kits used to always come with spanner wrenches, which at the time yeah. was a big deal, but we don't really see spanner wrench stuff Not in bikes ton. these days. Or uh, cone wrenches also. Yeah. I've got a s two sets of cone wrenches that I haven't touched in probably three <laughs> or four years. Except you know? for spreading apart the pistons on your brake. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think those kits, though, are pretty good. They're a good starter place, um, but you will have to kind of add to them to make them uh, bigger. Uh, other things, man, isopropyl alcohol. That's oh, I use that all the time. I actually got a time. Home Depot spray bottle, and I used to be able to get gallon jugs of alcohol at the store, and now I can only find the 32-ounce size, the yeah, first aid style yeah. size, either way. I generally hit up like CVS or Walgreens or something and just get that, yep. and then I'll drop in a spray thing for it. Um, but isopropyl alcohol is a godsend, especially if you're doing uh, brake bleeds with... Yeah. Um, with the dot Any of fluid. The fluid, it'll still clean but, it up nicely. Yeah, but the, like dot fluid, it gets rid of that stuff in a hot cool. second, cleans it up, make sure your paint is all good after dot fluid gets on it. Do be careful with the rubbing alcohol, the isopropyl alcohol, that if you get it on a wood surface with a finish on it, you yes. get it right off there quickly. Because while I feel like this stuff's pretty safe to get on your skin, I feel, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, I don't know for sure, but it definitely has tore up some nice wood finishes that yes. I used to have in my old shop. So. Yeah, and it will dry your hands out pretty good, especially okay. if you're uh, working on brake bleeding. So... Just as a quick aside, um, mineral oil, I, I still wear gloves when I work with Might it. Might as well. It's, it's so messy. It's messy. But dot fluid, most definitely wear gloves. Yes. That and even stuff, suspension fluid, it's good to wear gloves. Yeah. It, it, it can tear up your skin yeah. and not in a good way. And I'm not a doctor. My wife is, but not the right type <laughs> to, to make this uh, recommendation. But I just can't imagine it's good for you in the long run no. to be in contact with that stuff. Bikes are kind of getting away from the ubiquitous zip tie, thank oh, goodness. Yeah, but yeah. I might say it's smart to keep a pair of nail clippers in your toolbox to yeah. trim the tail of that zip tie after you cinch it down. Yeah, get it nice and close. Nice and flush so no one ends up with a slice on their calf when they're trying to pedal. Yeah. 
and they're small and cheap and easy. Yeah. You know what other tool I'm a big fan of uh, is the actual housing cutter tool. And it is not a must. I don't want to overstate it. Wow. But man, it, when you want that perfectly clean cut on a housing. Oh, on, on a brake hose. Yeah, on a brake okay, hose. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm like, man, I've been cutting my shift housing with so, cable cutters for years. And I, I don't think it's perfect, but it seems to work. Yeah. And I, a little pro tip there, if you use your dental probe mm-hmm. um open it up after the plastic up. gets crimped yeah. yeah so then the cable flows through nicely yeah. so yeah hit that with your cable cutters and then open it back up with that probe. or you can even use a one and a half mil allen key too yeah or the tip of a nail yeah yeah all right anything else on our must-have list you know the dental pick's nice but not necessarily mandatory um uh, must-have list yeah good tire gauge and good tire levers and i'm done yeah um I think that's pretty much it for me. Uh, the only other one that I'm a, a big fan of is I like to have a proper um, tire pressure gauge. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I did a whole you, video yeah, about that. <laughs> like I don't, as much as I like my pumps that I've gone through and I have several different ones, I don't trust any of them yeah. to be accurate. Um, I, I do. I think the miser gauge that you had in your video. Accu gauge. I think that solid. Was, that was my favorite one. Cool. So, um, and the Topi gauge so. works well too, and it's so much lighter. I honestly yeah. take the Topi gauge when I travel a lot more. Yeah, and it'll I, measure uh, your car tire pressure. So if your rental car throws a TPMS <laughs> sensor light, you can yeah. fix it on the go. Yeah. So I I leave one in in my van and uh, one in my shop and an Accu gauge. Yeah, the yeah. Accu gauge, and so they're just kind of always ready to go, and it's just a super good thing. Um, yeah. The only other tool that, and this is my, if you're just going to live life large, <laughs> I am a huge fan of, um, oh man, I'm all of a sudden going to blank on the name. The, uh, the digital, uh, suspension, the, t- uh, the shock pumps, the digital the shock whiz. Oh, I haven't so, tried it yet. Dude. So it's not a, it's a tool. It's yeah. not a maintenance tool. But let me tell you, it has helped me dial in my suspension nice. way better than I ever could. And I was pretty good at getting it dialed, but like it took it to the next level. So nice. I'm a huge fan of that. It's crazy expensive, but uh, it's it's a cool one if you just want to add it to your shop and just have a fun time. And then rent it to your buddies. You can there you go. Back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a simple, really cheap syringe, like from like an animal feed store. Oh, yeah. When you take your tires off and you're trying to get your sealant out before it spills all over your rotor and yep. your floor and yourself and your kid and your dog, those syringes can be really helpful just to get that sealant out. You can do it. You can tip it, but the syringe is just a little bit cleaner. Yeah. No, a syringe is a really good yeah. idea. I actually use... Um, a lot of times bikes will ship with the little mini stands bottles. Oh yeah. Do you just draw a vacuum and then uh, pull yeah, make out? a vacuum oh, and pull go. them back out. And, uh, Seth Kendall saving everyone one ninety nine. Right. <laughs> it, it works pretty well. Um, and you've and already got it in the shop. The cool thing important. is, is they have little rubber caps. And so what I'll do is, um, for my go tool bag, mm-hmm. I'll actually take the empty bottles and pour new stands in it or yeah. new or I'm actually an orange seal guy, but, Me too. um, but, uh, you know, I'll use the Stan's bottles and then put it back in my, my go toolbox. Nice. Um, and it makes it nice because it's basically exactly how much you need for a 29er setup. That was so, their idea with that size bottle. Yeah. Or so I hear. Yeah. So, well, I think that's pretty much everything. If you guys have any questions about anything we talked about here or if you have questions about uh, – what other tools we might recommend, anything specialty-wise. I know I've spent a lot of years uh, working on other people's bikes and a lot of years working on my own. 
Um, we're more than help, uh, happy to help you find the right tools that you might want to uh, work with. And Jeff, obviously, is a treasure trove of knowledge from all sides uh, <laughs> and definitely has some tricks of his own. Uh, you know, so we can always you can reach out to us. Um, and so the other thing um, is if you want to hear more from us, uh, let us know what subjects that you'd like us to touch on, because we definitely want to talk about the things you want to talk about. It's real easy to get in our own heads and be like, oh, this is the thing I want to talk about. And if you have a burning but, question, let us know and we'll do a Q&A next episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, and at some point, I think, Jeff, we should probably do some sort of live episode. Oh, that'd be awesome. I'd love to. It'd be cool. Where we get our fans to like you know, watch and... Oh, we could do a YouTube Live. Super easy. We yeah. could do it on the Jensen channel. We could do it on mine. We could simultaneously run both. That's yeah. easy enough to do. Yeah, I think it awesome. would be rad and we can moderate some questions and make sure we're answering them. And if we don't cool. know the answer, we're going to just be like, no, we're not answering that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it would be really cool to do something like that. But Definitely. I am stoked that you came down here. Thanks, well, thanks for, for having some me. Time. It's been fun. Yeah, man. And next time uh, you're coming to Bellingham, though. Yes, this has been a long drive. <laughs> yeah, I need to get up there anyway. Yeah. Um, we've been talking about that, um, and maybe um, my wife's pregnant, so uh, we got to make it before that yes. happens. You Either have that, a you have got a clock ticking. Yeah, yeah. Although we the last baby, we we traveled with him pretty quick, so maybe yeah. But now you're not traveling with a baby; you're traveling with a kid and a baby. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyways, I'd I'd love to get up there. We've got the van almost done now. Oh my gosh, it's ready. Don't to go. wait until your van's ready because so. then in 13 more years you still won't be up there. <laughs> well, I mean, almost like people are always like, "Are you done with it?" Or like, "Where are you at with it?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm done enough. What I call functionally done." Yeah, you know, like me with my videos, I'll publish it, but it's not done. <laughs> yeah, like there's always another project. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, stoked that you could make it down here. Oh, it's been awesome. Um, Thanks for having me. Down from where you were to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely get up there. And uh, yeah, if you guys have any questions, hit us up in, in the, um, oh man, what's our email? All of a sudden I'm blanking. You're S. Kendall? Yeah, S. Kendall at Jensen USA. Thank you, Jeff. Um, it's been a long day. All but, good. And uh, yeah, we'll hit you guys back and, and make sure we get your topics talked about or your questions answered. So. Awesome. We're right yeah. on. We'll keep pedaling. All right. Thanks, everybody. Keep pedaling. See you guys.